I believe that love is the answer. But you ought to own a handgun just in case. The video is of a sitting U.S. senator suggestively caressing a handgun? Senator John Kennedy, you don't deserve that name. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP. Rochester, New York, WRFZ. New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ. Seattle, Washington, KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR. Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe, five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but he's dealing with noisy jackhammers outside of his studio. So once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host the Nicole Sandler Show based at NicoleSandler.com and usually happy to step in when Brad and Desi put out a cry for help. Today's a rough one, though. I got to tell you, I had a totally different show planned. And then came that breaking news alert, active shooter in San Jose. I was hoping against hope that it was going to be one of those no fatality shootings, but I wasn't that lucky. At press time, as I'm recording this, I don't know how many dead there are, but the fact that anyone's dead is too many. Just moments ago, the uh, San Jose Police Department public information officer gave another briefing. Here's the latest. This morning at 6.34 a.m., Santa Clara County Communications Center received multiple 911 calls of a shots fired call located in the area of 101 West Younger Avenue in the city of San Jose, which is a Valley Transportation Authority hub for um, VTA. Upon receiving multiple phone calls of shots fired, deputies showed up to the scene and learned that there were uh, multiple victims that were shot at the scene and there are multiple injuries and multiple casualties from this incident. I can't confirm with you at this point on how many injuries there are or how many casualties. This is still a fluid and ongoing investigation and we're still trying to collaborate everything what exactly happened with this incident. I will tell you right now, the suspect involved with this incident is deceased. I'm not gonna go into details as to what was the cause of death at that point, but he is deceased. And the biggest thing we wanna ensure is public safety um, for our community out there. And right now, public safety is assured at this point. Uh, we do have investigators on scene, um, pretty much doing our investigation to see exactly what happened and transpired. And here we go again. And as tends to happen with the situations like this, 
information comes dribbling out. We now know that eight people were killed. Eight people plus the shooter. And as of right now, that's all we know. Perhaps by the end of the hour, more information will come trickling out. So we'll save the news for the end of the show today to give them time to get more information to us. But we've seen this movie before, and the ending sucks. So a few weeks ago, you might recall, we had a spate of mass shootings, and it seemed like we had a respite of sorts during the pandemic. Well, that was an illusion, because actually shootings were up while we were all stuck at home. So today, I scrapped the plans of what I was going to do. We've got the rest of the week to get there. Instead, I went back a few weeks to that period in April when there was a mass shooting occurring seemingly every day. And I, I reached out to Igor Volsky. He's the founder and director of Guns Down America. And I thought today is a good day to relive that conversation. So in just a couple of minutes, we will hear that, that interview. But first, I got to share with you something else that came over my Twitter feed today. This is mind-blowing. So it's a tweet from the NRA, who has been mostly silent as of late since their bankruptcy problems. But they actually posted a short video today. The tweet, simply from the NRA, reads, Senator John Kennedy's new message will trigger the libs with a smiley emoji. And beneath it is a, is a video. It's a 12-second video. And it is Senator John Kennedy, who you should remember, just know that this is a allegedly a smart, educated man. He was a Rhodes Scholar, studied at Oxford. The country bumpkin act he puts on is an act. So know that. But the video shows him sitting, looking pensive, and caressing a gun while he says this. Folks, I believe that love is the answer. But you ought to own a handgun just in case. Ew. Now, a few things you should know. Number one, I didn't put that porn music in there. That was the NRA's doing. Second... He was caressing the gun. He's like um, doing a hand motion, uh, like rubbing it back and forth. Kind of suggestive of a move that I would guess most people listening understand. And third, there were graphics on this video as well of the words he was speaking. So it says, folks, I believe that love is the answer. Except it doesn't say believe. It says believe. (laughs) B-E-L-I-V-E. Yeah, so it's a typo. But the typo has remained up. This video was posted uh, two days ago already on May 24th at 5.47 p.m. And as I'm recording this, it remains on the NRA's Twitter feed. So there's John Kennedy believing that love will trigger the libs, I guess, because he loves his gun. What a weird world we live in. All right, we will take a time out. Come back on the other side with Igor Volsky of Guns Down America, because we must. 
I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. We're back on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today. And I wasn't planning on talking about guns or mass shootings, but unfortunately, real life got in the way. Because I woke up this morning to news of another mass shooting in San Jose, California, with multiple fatalities and casualties. At the time I'm recording this, we don't know the numbers yet. But as I said earlier, even one dead is too many. Here's what we do know so far. Multiple 911 calls about the shooting were made at 6.34 a.m. Pacific time. The shooting happened at a light rail yard in San Jose. The suspect is male and he's dead. Law enforcement reported, quote, multiple fatalities and injuries. And that's it. At this moment, we're waiting on the identification of the suspect and information on the victims. But these events happen way too often. So I thought today we would turn our attention here on the broadcast toward guns. And welcome to the show, Igor Volsky. He is the executive director and founder of Guns Down America and author of the book called Guns Down that you can find out more about at gunsdownbook.com. And he was a guest on my show just a couple of weeks ago in the middle of another onslaught of mass shootings. Nicole, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's always uh, a joy to join you. And I have to tell you, you shouldn't be upset to have me on because I'm here to deliver what I think is good news. Ah, okay. <laughs> we could all use some good news right now. <laughs> well, you know, certainly the shooting that occurred yesterday in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, at a high school, uh, we had uh, another shooting last month uh, at a school in Arkansas, really, I think, demonstrates Demonstrates, uh, the real threat, frankly, that educators and students face as they return into the classroom, that not only are they concerned about the virus and uh, how they're going to return to to everyday in classroom learning, but they're also concerned that as we try to get back to normalcy, that the normalcy of gun violence in schools will also pick up again. Um, you know, just this year, we've had at least 59 incidents of gun violence in or around schools uh, with at least two uh, that happened directly on school grounds. And I think the fear is uh, that that's really uh, going to, those numbers are going to go up uh, as we continue to, to reopen. So that's not great news. But the good news is um, that last week, 
the administration uh, really took some important steps. They took six executive actions uh, to try and deal with this problem. Um, and, you know, those are, are that's a good beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it builds on what the House did earlier this year by passing legislation, expanding background checks. And certainly now, I think there's an opportunity to really push the Senate to do their part um, and advance much needed legislation. But the fact that we're making progress, right. the fact that we're talking about this, uh, to me, working on this issue, that's very good news. Well, it is. And the fact that Joe Biden stepped up and did something. Now, I, I know that, you know, what he did. So he, he put um, controls on what they call ghost guns, like the kits that people can buy that have no traceable parts. He wants to end that. And that's something he can do by executive order. Um, little things. Uh, but that's that's what we need. Just a lot of little things that add up to big things. He's doing what he can uh, by his signature. But there's so much that has to be done through legislation, through Congress voting. And that's, you know, as they say, the rub. Um, There's a story that I woke up to this morning in The Hill. Uh, Here's here's the, the little blurb they wrote. President Biden's call for an assault weapons ban is putting pressure on Democrats to pass legislation that strategists worry could put lawmakers in a vulnerable spot heading into next year's midterm elections. The president's latest push goes beyond expanded background checks and sets the stage for votes to ban assault-style weapons in high-capacity magazines, a potential political liability in Senate battlegrounds such as Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. What? (laughs) Seriously? People want controls on these weapons. We're sick of being you know, fodder for the random bullet that may fly into our bodies and kill us on any given day. Um, A liability? Really? Yeah, Nicole, you know, that was very frustrating to see uh, that kind of reporting. Uh, That story in particular is sourced to an anonymous strategist uh, who predicted some trouble in North Carolina, which, you know, in some individual races, uh, I think that that could be true. But generally speaking, there's been this sense uh, that's been propagated since 1994 after President Clinton passed much needed gun reform that that um, when Democrats pursue this issue, that they lose seats. And the truth is, if you look at the actual data, uh, that wasn't true in 1994 when Democrats did lose seats in mm-hmm. the midterm. But there were all kinds of other issues, including a soft economy that was in play. Um, and it's certainly not true today, because, frankly, the gun violence prevention movement uh, is stronger than it's ever been is more diverse than it's ever been, is bolder than it's ever been. Um, And that comes, that growth in strength comes as the NRA continues to shrink, not just as an organization, but also in terms of the number of allies and supporters it has on Capitol Hill. Uh, You know, statisticians who aren't pundits um, actually looked at some of the raw data, and what they discovered is, 
is that the NRA, when it does play in certain races, tends to almost um, always or frequently to support Republican incumbents who, as we know from our system of government, um, have pretty secure seats, right? Yeah. There's very, very little flippage there, particularly in, uh, in areas that are solid blue or solid red. And that in areas where the NRA does make a difference, when it's a very close race, um, you know, that, that, that difference is relatively small because opinions on this issue are pretty much baked in. So if you're going to vote for a, a, a different uh, lawmaker or a different candidate because they support banning assault weapons, you would have probably, or they voted rather to ban assault weapons, right. you would have probably voted against that person anyway. Right. Right. Exactly. And and I think the fact that our lawmakers may finally be doing something about this horrific gun epidemic we have might motivate more people to come out and vote. You know, the problem, I think, that Dem- Democrats have had for so long is that they have they've been given a choice of, you know, the status quo or Republican light because they think they're in a red area, whatever that might be, that you look at Chuck Schumer, for instance, he's perfect. He's he's one who does this all the time. He picks the most conservative Republican-like candidates because he thinks that's what those voters want, when if that's what they wanted, they'd vote for the Republican. But you give them a real Democrat, a progressive, somebody who wants to make these changes, and people get excited, and then they come out to vote. Well, look, I think it's certainly true in some races. It's probably less true in others. In, in others yep. right? we're, we're a big country with, right. with districts that are drawn in all kinds of funny ways. But I'll say on, on this issue in particular, um, we uh, now have a president uh, who really prioritized gun reform during the campaign, during the general election, in ways that Democrats really haven't in the past. He not only put forward one of the boldest plans we've ever seen. Um, But he also uh, frequently talked about the issue on the campaign trail, Mm -hmm. worked with gun violence survivors and and the broader community. And so I think what has to happen now, frankly, is that all of us have to hold the president accountable to all of the promises that he made on this issue. That if uh, he promised that his years of experience in Washington, D.C. really gave him the tools to bring Democrats and Republicans together to get big things done, then that's exactly, frankly, what he needs to do and what we hope uh, that he does, along, of course, uh, with the kind of reforms we're probably going to need to see in the Senate in yeah. order to create a pathway <laughs> for getting some of these measures uh, across the finish line. But I agree with you. Look, if you if as a as a candidate for the presidency or for Congress, you run on a robust platform of gun reform, you need to live up to those yes. promises you made to voters. And especially now, I mean, the last two weeks have just been horrific. It's you know, I and I was saying during while we were all locked down, it seemed like we had a bit of reprieve. And maybe it's because, as you mentioned, the school shootings had well, Nicole, leveled you know, off a little, but we, we didn't. That's, that's I know. The that's the thing. reality is that, you know, this president really inherited a much larger problem um, after the election, you know, 
know, we not only saw a significant spike in gun homicides yeah. in 2020 as compared to 2019, and that's continuing, by the way, into 2021, but we also saw an increase in mass shootings. Wow. Those shootings just happened within the home um, and not in schools or theaters, right. which, of course, were all closed. And we also saw an increase in childhood deaths as well, mm. uh, both below teenager and, and those teenage years. And so, you know, that that's, I think, part of the challenge we face is that there is this perception that somehow with the lo- lockdown, gun violence has decreased. And but the hasn't. exact opposite is true. And part of that, Nicole, as you all know, is because so many Americans responded to COVID-19 by running out and panic purchasing okay. firearms. Yep. And that's a real threat we face today, but also into the future, because there's just more guns out there in circulation. Right. Now, we're, we're speaking with Igor Volsky. He is the executive director of Guns Down America. You can find them at gunsdownamerica.org. There's a bunch of uh, actions that they're working on there that you can get involved with, and you should. You should read the book, Guns Down, as well. Um, we had an assault weapons ban. It lasted a decade. You mentioned it earlier. It came in under the Clinton administration, but it sunsetted when George W. Bush was president. Um, Biggest mistake. I hate to, you know, use absolutes. One of the biggest mistakes this country has ever made, in my view, because by now they'd be they'd be gone. But now they're everywhere. The 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 um, and the the fact that the weapons are so much more efficient killing machines. Uh, the AR-15, for example, there's a reason, you know, all we hear about a lot is how many people were killed in a school shooting. And because I'm in Coral Springs, I talk about Parkland a lot. Mm-hmm. 17 were killed, but the injuries also were horrific. When someone is shot with a bullet that comes through an AR-15, it does maximum damage. This is not a gun you use for hunting because I, I guess you don't want that kind of destruction in the animal that you kill that ostensibly you're supposed to eat right these these do major damage they're they're designed to kill yeah they do and they were designed for that for that very reason and thank you nicole for highlighting uh all those who are wounded by firearms every single day it's about 250 people uh, are wounded by guns every single day many of them live with those scars and that pain and years of uh, rehabilitation uh, some of them for the rest of their lives Um, and oftentimes when we talk about gun violence we forget uh, about those voices who are injured but they're so incredibly important and they're of course uh, part of our movement Um, and on the assault weapon ban more broadly I mean you're absolutely right assault weapons uh, in some respect put the mass in mass shootings uh, because as you correctly note uh, they just allow uh, killers to uh, to to take as many lives as as quickly as possible I think you know if I was uh, designing uh, an assault weapon ban today I would have probably designed it a little differently than what passed in 1994. Uh, Legislators, I think, learned a lot from that experience in terms of how you define an assault weapon to prevent gun manufacturers from finding loopholes, um, which they were able to do over the 10 years Mm -hmm. that it was in effect. However, despite that, despite the fact that we probably now know how to create uh, a more robust ban during those 10 years between 
decrease that is the shootings were less deadly partly because the weapons were just uh, a lot less available wow so how difficult i mean we have short memories and in 1994 frankly i was playing music on the radio i wasn't i wasn't plugged in to the issues as i am now how difficult was it how heavy a lift was it to get this weapons ban assault weapons ban passed through congress back then well, back then in ninety four was part of the crime bill, uh, which of course there you hear so much criticism of it today. <laughs> yeah, because so there were some pretty not, bad parts of it. Yeah, that's right. And so it did not go forward as as a standalone measure. Uh, you know, today the the politics uh, on the assault weapon ban uh, haven't changed dramatically in the sense. Well, th- that's probably not true because I, sh- I should note that um, you know in two th- in, uh, so in ninety four. The storyline is, you know, President Clinton passed the assault weapon ban, uh, established the Brady background check system, mm-hmm. uh, and then lost his party, lost a lot of seats. Uh, the reality, again, the party's going to lose a lot of seats in the first midterm after a presidential well, election. Uh, yes. And in 96, when he was running for his own reelection, mm-hmm. he ran on the assault weapon ban. Right. right. So so it was it was popular at the time. And also remind your listeners that in 2004, uh, just as the assault weapon ban was expiring. Then President George W. Bush actually supported it. Um, he, of course, did nothing to uh, to 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 fight the sunset clause that was put in it. But he did campaign uh, in favor of the assault weapon ban, as did, by the way, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, who in um, was it ninety four or shortly uh, that thereafter, around that period, did uh, publicly indicate that he too supported uh, an assault weapon ban. Um, So now uh, we're in a place um, where, you know, this issue is still challenging. It's probably harder to find uh, Republican support, not necessarily Republican voters, but Republican lawmakers. Exactly. uh, Because in many ways, the assault weapon, uh, the industry has been able to really kind of create this myth around it, that it's the most popular weapon. And if you ban it, you're confiscating people's guns. Um, and, uh, And so while it's certainly necessary, and folks are fighting for it. Uh, it's uh, it, it's you know it's 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 going to be a, a real effort to get it across the finish line. Well, let me throw this out there: the NRA, I'm guessing, had a lot to do with the. Um, the the, the sunsetting of the assault weapons ban because they rose. The NRA has been around for a long time, but for the longest time, it was, you know, the sportsman group. They weren't the lobbying group for the gun manufacturers. Then they became that. It became all about the money. They became big time lobbyists and had a lot of influence and their influence grew through. And please correct me if I'm wrong. This is the way I remember it. And I'm probably I could be wrong in a lot of fronts. But as their influence grew throughout the years of the, the ban, by the time it sunsetted, they had a completely different profile than they did 10 years earlier, where now they're on Capitol Hill, they're lobbying, and they're sp- throwing a lot of money around, mostly into Republican coffers. Um, they, they were a different animal, but they're a different animal now than they were then, aren't they? They've lost a lot of power. They've, they filed for bankruptcy, didn't they? 
Well, you know, it's certainly true that early on in its history, uh, the NRA, which was formed by two uh, Union soldiers in the aftermath of the Civil War, to help teach marksmanship to Americans. They were so disappointed by how soldiers did during the Civil War. They thought, wow. my goodness, we need an organization to teach people how to shoot. Later, it became focused on hunting and outdoor sports. Um, but before the NRA really took a right turn, that happened around 1977 when mm. a whole different kind of leadership literally staged a coup on the floor of the NRA convention um, and uh, kind of uh, you know pushed the NRA uh, aggressively to the right and kind of paved the, uh, the, the way, frankly, for that organization to grow in the way that it has. Before that happened in 77, the NRA publicly positioned itself as an organization that was uh, generally interested in helping reduce gun violence in this country. Right. But privately, in the way it communicated with its members, uh, it always pushed folks to oppose um, gun reform measures uh, as early as, uh, you know, 1908, oh, 1910, wow. 1912. Wow. Um, uh, and so it a bit of a, a bit of a checkered history. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, when we look at um, what happened in uh, 1993, 1994, uh, this was a period of time when the NRA really got caught red handed in many ways in terms of uh, trying to bring in anti-government separatists into its fold. Um, hmm. And they uh, decided to rhetorically uh, really attack um, uh, government uh, officials uh, and President Clinton at the time in ways that uh, really uh, led to a loss of public support. Uh, at the time, uh, President George H.W. Bush uh, ripped up his uh, NRA membership card to protest wow. uh, these kinds of strategies. So, you know, they were in a weakened state back then. And then, of course, when you look at today, what they're really up against and what they're really facing are charges of just mind blowing corruption yes. uh, at the very top. Right. Um, and that really has to do with the kind of uh, culture that Wayne LaPierre Pierre has established where all of the millions they make from their dues paying members appear to be funneled uh, to enrich his, his pocket Lapierre, his wife and his family. <laughs> That's right. And, and, you know, the, the yacht trips and the, the travel and everything. I mean, mm -hmm. what we've learned. I was amazed that he showed up at um, whatever recent event, a uh, CPAC. He was there at CPAC when we all, you know, the NRA wasn't going to have any role in it. And all of a sudden, Wayne LaPierre is there. I would think he'd be persona non grata, and I'm, I'm amazed he's still with the organization. So they are kind of toothless now, or maybe not. What, what is their well, stance? Look, you know, certainly they're diminished. And you see that in the kind of political spends that they do. Those spends are smaller than they were in previous cycles. But the real power of the NRA is that they've been able to really weave in the gun issue into the broader conservative movement. Right. And they've established uh, identity around gun ownership, that gun owners are these super American citizens. <laughs> that um, are really what this country is all about. And anybody who uh, proposes any kind of additional regulation or reform isn't just 
making it harder for an individual to obtain a firearm, but is trying to destroy the very way of life of conservative Americans. And that kind of identity has a lot of power um, in terms of mobilizing uh, conservative voters at the ballot box, in terms of mobilizing them to call members of Congress. Mm -hmm. So while the lobby itself may certainly be diminished, its power is still there. Uh, And we see that in the way Republicans talk about uh, mass shooting events um, and the the fact that they still are showing between zero and limited (laughs) interest in passing reforms like expanded background checks that, you know, an overwhelming majority of their own constituents support. Right. Isn't it something like 97 percent approval of uh, expanded background checks? I mean, it, it, it should be a no brainer. And yet I, I, the, I don't understand what makes th- these members of Congress tick to to vote against something so overwhelmingly supported by the public. I think they fear that it's a problem for the base, uh, that if they vote for this, even though 90, 97 percent of their electorate supports it, they're going to be primaried from the right. Wow. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's also the case that while you certainly have voters, conservative voters who are very motivated to vote against candidates who uh, support gun reform, the same is not always true on the other side, right? That there isn't, at least not yet, um, a very organized voting block uh, that's going to support someone or oppose somebody uh, because they oppose gun reform. Well, the Democrats now are, you know, working on it. We have Joe Biden in the White House who has surprised me from from the get-go. I was not a a supporter. Uh, As I've said a number of times, I've never been happier to have been so wrong. Um, so far, so good. He's doing he's doing the right things as far as I can see. Chris Murphy, senator from Connecticut, is taking the lead on, uh, I guess, trying to whip support for gun control legislation. Is he the guy in the Senate trying to make this happen? And does he have any any chance with Joe Manchin? Well, look, let me say that um, certainly uh, it it was tremendous progress uh, for the president to put forward the initial steps uh, last week. Um, And frankly, we need him to go further. Uh, We need him to really put his shoulder into this issue. We need him to be actively uh, working with senators to make progress on these bills because, A, people are dying every single day and to be this is what he ran on and this is what he promised mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what does a path forward look like in the senate as you note, uh, Senator Murphy, who has such a rich history on this issue, as listeners probably know, yep. he uh, was just a newly minted senator in um, uh, during the Newtown shooting in, yep. in December of 2012 uh, that killed 20 uh, children. And so he uh, has really worked on this issue for a long time. Uh, He seems to believe uh, that there are 10 votes, uh, 10 Republican votes in the Senate to get the necessary 60 in order to break any any possible filibuster and move it across the finish line. Now, the question remains, 
Are there 60 votes? And if so, uh, what are these 60 votes voting on? Uh, Because the reality is the measure that the House passed uh, just about a month ago, actually, the universal background check measure, is far more robust than what the Senate last considered, what's popularly known as the Manchin-Toomey bill in 2013. And that measure um, would roll back, actually, some of the progress that states have made on expanding background checks and probably, I would imagine, would not be supported by large parts of the gun violence prevention movement. So while I certainly wish Senator Murphy uh, uh, great luck in, in finding those Republican votes, um, I do hope uh, that if they are found, uh, that those votes are for a robust measure that yes. would actually make a difference in you know limiting, for instance, uh, gun trafficking and, and making it harder for prohibited individuals to obtain firearms. But I'll also say uh, that if within you know a reasonable period of time, uh, the senator can't find the 60 votes uh, for such a robust measure, then there's no choice, in my view, um, than for the Senate Majority Leader uh, to uh, begin the process of changing Senate rules so that we could finally uh, pass these life-saving measures that an overwhelming majority of Americans support with a simple majority. You got it. Um, We've got like 20 seconds left, uh, so I'll suggest people go to gunsdownamerica.org and get involved there, and you've got lots of ways we we can get involved and help out. Um, Igor Volsky, thank you so much. It's great talking to you. I hate that it's always under these circumstances, but uh, at least, you know, it gets us talking. And um, I I think we're all on the same page right now. We got to do something. Thank you for joining us. Great talking to you. Thank you, Nicole. Igor Volsky, an appearance from the Nicole Sandler show from just a few weeks ago that I thought was pertinent to play today. Before we continue and get on with the rest of the news... I'm going to play for you a song that I started playing years ago to open my show when there was another mass shooting. It's from a singer-songwriter named Cheryl Wheeler. She wrote this song back in 1998 after the Jonesboro Massacre, and it kind of took off the following year after the Columbine shooting. It's Cheryl Wheeler. The song is If It Were Up To Me on the broadcast. Maybe it's the movies, maybe it's the books, maybe it's the bullets, maybe it's the real crooks, maybe it's the drugs, maybe it's the parents, maybe it's the colors everybody's wearing, maybe it's the president, maybe it's the last one, maybe it's the one before that, what he done, maybe it's the high schools, maybe it's the teachers, maybe it's the tattooed children in the bleachers, maybe it's the Bible, maybe it's the lack, maybe it's the music, maybe it's the crack, maybe it's the hairdos, maybe it's the TV, maybe it's the cigarettes, maybe it's the family, maybe it's the fast food, maybe it's the news, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's the lawyers, maybe it's the prisons, maybe it's the senators, maybe it's the system, maybe it's the fathers, maybe it's the sons, maybe it's the sisters, maybe it's the moms, maybe it's the radio, maybe it's road rage, maybe El Nino, where you feed raised, maybe it's the army, maybe it's the liquor, maybe it's the papers, maybe the militia, maybe it's the athletes, maybe it's the ads, maybe it's the sports fans, maybe it's a fad, maybe it's the magazines, maybe it's the internet, maybe it's the lottery, maybe it's the immigrants, maybe it's taxes, big business, maybe it's the KKK the skinheads, maybe it's the communists, maybe it's the Catholics, maybe it's the hippies, maybe it's the addicts, maybe it's 
the art, maybe it's the sex, maybe it's the homeless, maybe it's the banks, maybe it's the clear cut, maybe it's the ozone, maybe it's the chemicals, maybe it's the car phone, maybe it's the fertilizer, maybe it's the nose rings, maybe it's the hands, but I know one thing. If it were up to me, I'd take away the guns. I'd take away the guns. I'd take away the guns. Take away the guns, too. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Desi Doyen of the Green News Report and the broadcast. Did you know we are completely listener-supported and free of corporate and political influence? You can help us stay 100% independent over your public airwaves by signing up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like. Just go to bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. Tell me why I don't like You're listening to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today. Brad and Des are out dealing with construction issues outside of their studio. We've been dealing with guns. The song that I played to intro this segment is from the Boomtown Rats, a song about a shooting in San Diego some years ago by a girl who, a girl who didn't want to go to school. Enough with the guns already. All right, you know the story. Eight people dead, plus a gunman in San Jose. And what's really sad is this is so typical now that on Wednesday afternoon, it's not even wall-to-wall coverage. Not that it should be, but you know what I'm saying. And actually, more information just crossed my desktop, so let me share it with you. Information about the shooter. Uh, From the Daily Beast, who tells us, the gunman who killed eight people at a San Jose rail yard was an employee who apparently set his home on fire before the bloodbath. I'm not going to tell you his name. A 57-year-old guy who worked for the Valley Transportation Authority, who reportedly took his own life after the shooting. His father, 88-year-old James Edward Cassidy, told the Daily Beast that his son, quote, seemed completely himself in recent days and didn't appear to be holding a grudge. Quote, he didn't talk about his job or politics. I just found out he was dead and his house is on fire and all that a minute ago. (sighs) I'm sure more will come to light in the coming hours and days. But for now, 
Let's get on to the rest of the news. The Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, has convened a grand jury to consider evidence gathered in a criminal investigation into Donald Trump and executives at the Trump Organization. They've been investigating for more than two years whether the company misled lenders and insurance companies about the value of properties and whether they paid appropriate taxes or not. The move suggested that Vance, who's retiring and not running for a fourth term, was close to seeking charges. The investigation included a fight for access to Trump's tax records, which he ultimately won at the Supreme Court. They also examined Trump's business dealings before he was president, including whether his company inflated the value of properties to get better loans and undervalued them to lower its taxes. Trump, in typical fashion, responded to the news with an angry blog post calling the seating of the grand jury, quote, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in American history. That's getting kind of old, isn't it? The Senate is scrambling to get some work done before they leave for a Memorial Day recess on Friday. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on Tuesday began the process of bringing a vote to the floor on the House-passed bill to create a commission probing the January 6th attack on the Capitol. A key procedural vote is now slated for Thursday when senators will cast a vote on whether to advance the legislation. But it's looking near certain to fail as Republicans will filibuster, and there don't appear to be 10, who will vote with the Democrats. So far, only Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney have indicated they'd support the legislation, which, by the way, was supported by 35 House Republicans. Susan Collins and Rob Portman have said they'd like to see some changes in the bill, and then maybe they'd vote for it. But other than those, there aren't a lot of Republican votes in play. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been vocally opposed to the commission, almost admitting that it's because of the effect it would have on the 2022 elections. The creation of a January 6th commission is just one deal McConnell and company are blocking. Another is the infrastructure package. The White House started with a $2.3 trillion proposal. Biden then trimmed it to $1.7 trillion, but that was still over a trillion more than the Republicans were offering. On Monday, CNN reports, Biden informed the Republicans that he'd be willing to accept an infrastructure package of around one trillion. So Senate Republicans are now reportedly preparing a one trillion dollar infrastructure counteroffer that they'll reveal on Thursday. Stay tuned. Say it isn't so, Joe. Come on, man. The White House has reportedly removed several key provisions from the administration's upcoming budget plan, one of which was a student debt forgiveness proposal that progressives say is already months overdue. The Washington Post reporting Friday that the White House also removed several proposals that Joe Biden had promised to address on the campaign trail, like reducing the cost of prescription drugs and raising the estate tax. Progressives have been especially frustrated with Biden in recent days for having discussed but not followed through on the prospect of forgiving student loans. The left began advocating for Biden to cancel student debt long before his presidency started. But despite making some moves indicating he might do so, Biden is now stepping back from his previous pledges on the matter. Come on, man. And now comes word that things are going to get worse for people with those exorbitant loans. 43 million Americans with federal student loan debt have had a bit of a reprieve 
Starting in March of 2020, they weren't required to make payments on those loans due to the pandemic. Well, that reprieve is ending. The pause in payments is set to expire in September, though there is talk of an extension. Borrowers are now anxiously looking to Joe Biden and Congress to see how long their debt-free existence will last. Come on, man. Stay tuned. It took long enough, but the outcome was worth the wait. The Senate on Tuesday confirmed civil rights lawyer Kristen Clark to lead the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. Clark will be the first woman of color confirmed to the post, which former Attorney General Eric Holder described as the DOJ's crown jewel. The vote was a squeaker, 51 to 48, with Susan Collins of Maine being the only Republican to join the Democrats in support of Clark. Democrats praised Clark, saying her experience made her the best person to lead the Biden administration's enforcement of civil rights laws and investigations of police abuses. Republicans fought the confirmation, saying that Clark was too liberal, partisan, and hostile towards police, citing an op-ed she wrote describing her prosecution of killings by police. And it was fitting that Clark was confirmed on Tuesday, the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, the unarmed black man murdered by former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who knelt on his neck for over nine minutes. President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris met with George Floyd's family at the White House on Tuesday. Floyd's death obviously sparked widespread protests against racism and police brutality. Ceremonies were held around the country to honor him while Floyd's family members were in D.C. His brother, Philonese Floyd, said the family hoped for progress toward passing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which includes reforms such as banning racial profiling. The issue holding up the passage of that bill is the question of qualified immunity, which protects government officials, in this case police officers, from civil liability for constitutional violations. Yeah, it's a big deal. Georgia's in the news again. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp on Tuesday signed an executive order making Georgia the latest Republican-led state to restrict the use of vaccine passports. In a statement, Kemp said, quote, while I continue to urge all Georgians to get vaccinated so we continue our momentum of putting the COVID-19 pandemic in the rear view, vaccination is a personal decision between each citizen and a medical professional, not the state government. This order applies to state agencies, service providers, and properties, including schools and prisons, but not to private businesses or organizations. By the way, as of Tuesday, 50% of adult Americans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. And on May 24th, the seven-day average of new cases was the lowest it's been at any point since last June. But we're reminded that those numbers are driven by the vaccinated part of the population. Among those who are not vaccinated, the rate of the disease and death is estimated to be as high as it was in late January. Partisan politics are getting uglier than normal in Arizona, where the appropriately nicknamed fraudit is still allegedly recounting ballots for a third or is it a fourth time? On Tuesday morning, though, the Arizona House Appropriations Committee stripped Arizona's Secretary of State Katie Hobbs of her ability to defend election lawsuits, giving the power exclusively to the Republican Attorney General. The Senate Appropriations Committee quickly passed the same changes, 
This provision, now part of the full budget proposal, that will be voted on later this week. By the way, that provision limiting the powers of the Secretary of State expires at the end of Katie Hobbs' term on January 2nd, 2023. By the way, the charade going on in Arizona right now that's come to be known as the fraud it was bought and paid for by the Arizona Senate Republicans. And it would be one thing if it were a legitimate company who does election work. Cyber ninjas are no such thing. The whole thing is a sham. And apparently CNN had been trying to get a an interview with Karen Fan for weeks and she's dodged their calls. Well, CNN reporter Kyung La caught up with her, ambushed her in a parking lot and got this interview, which I'm going to play for you because it is stunning. I don't know what's legit, what isn't legit, but why wouldn't we want to answer those questions? Do we just questioning democracy? No, I'm questioning the integrity of the election system, which is the backbone of democracy. That's right. Which means we should have full 100% confidence in our democracy and in our election system. But you're talking about trying to disprove conspiracies. If I have to, yes. Why wouldn't we? If somebody says something is out there, I would love to be able to say, that's not true, guys. Aren't you raising more questions by giving rise to these conspiracy theories? No. I'm answering questions. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Are you 100% confident that every vote that came in in Arizona or any other state, can you say emphatically 100% that no uh, dead people voted? that ballots weren't filled out by other people, that the chain of custody from the minute people voted their ballots, that the chain of custody was accurate and and on target the entire time. Can you tell me that? I can say that what the data shows us no, is no, that no, there was no widespread fraud. That's right. I, I didn't say there was fraud. But you just said chain of custody. <laughs> yeah, chain of custody. Dead people. That's, these okay. things are all fraud. Well, I've asked you a question. Uh-huh. Can you honestly tell me in all the states that no ballots from people that are already deceased were not filled out? And you never had this I can concern tell you before. That what the data has shown overwhelmingly is that elections, this was most, the most secure election in American history. Okay, but you can't answer that question oh, either, God. can you? Oh, I, I'm, I'm answering it. I'm telling you <laughs> no, that... No, you're telling me what the data says. I asked... And you the were data is what we should be driven wow. by. First of all, when we talk about wow. transparency, from day one, the entire process has been live streaming. So anybody... On OAN. <laughs> with cameras controlled by OAN. Are you saying that OAN is not a credible uh, news, news yes. source? Are you yes. saying that? Yes. Okay. I'll remember that. <laughs> CNN is saying that OAN is not a credible one. Yes. Okay. Well, we are paying this the, is the Arizona State Senate President. For some of the security, and we were paying for the cost of the Coliseum. Well, we're paying for our fair share. Anything over and above that um, is being covered by others. I do not know who they are, but oh, I, I know from the get-go there was a lot of grassroots people. Um, <laughs> I have been told that there are people sending in $10, $50 checks, $100, because they want to see this on it done. Do you believe this is helping democracy? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Wow. Will you do this every election? It will be a, a lesson in democracy that we answer people's questions. And I want the people, uh, I don't care if you're in Arizona or any state. Oh, she's such a liar. If we have those kind of doubts, we owe it to them to answer their question. This will be the basis of a gold standard. Oh, man. 
<laughs> what a report by our Kyung Law. This with is all Brianna Keeler. And catching up with Karen Fan, who's very much behind this bogus audit in Arizona. But I mean, she's like a walking infomercial for conspiracy theory news. Yeah, that's that's a good description for what she was. Karen Fan, the president of the Arizona Senate Republicans. Wow. Just wow. You know, I do talk about something called opposite world. And we're living in it right now. In case you're not quite familiar what opposite world is, well, let's enter. Everything you thought you knew, you never knew it all. Sideways is straight ahead. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. (laughs) We're living in it now. We really are. All right, back to the news. Well, a date's been set. President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin will both attend a high-stakes summit in Switzerland next month, marking the first face-to-face meeting between the leaders and Biden's first international trip since taking office. The White House says the leaders will discuss restoring, quote, predictability and stability to U.S.-Russia relations. Biden will also address Ukraine and Belarus, two areas of regional political conflict. Former Senator John Warner of Virginia died Tuesday evening at the age of 94 from heart failure. The World War II and Korean War veteran served three decades in the Senate after a stint as Secretary of the Navy, And yes, he was, for a time, married to Elizabeth Taylor. And it appears to be official. Amazon agrees to buy MGM. Seriously, that's a landmark marriage of tech and Hollywood. Amazon will buy MGM's parent company, MGM Holdings, for $8.45 billion. The deal for the studio the second priciest in Amazon's history, they paid more for Whole Foods, gives Amazon the rights to a huge library of classic film properties in its bid to become a dominant entertainment player. But wait, there's more. (laughs) And I thank Stephen Colbert for pointing this out. Along with MGM's movie library, there's a lot of television stuff as well including The Apprentice. And not only The Apprentice shows that aired on television, but the outtakes too. Here, let's let Stephen Colbert explain. And Bezos really wants MGM because he's dropping that $9 billion on it, even though insiders believe the studio is only worth about $5 billion. Jeff! That's way too much. Didn't you check on the right-hand side of the product page? You could have bought it used from other sellers. So why would one of the world's richest men pay almost twice the value for a struggling movie studio that recently went bankrupt? Well, it could be that Jeff Bezos has an ongoing feud with the former president, Genghis Khan. Guess what? All the outtakes from The Apprentice are owned by MGM. Holy mother of DVD extras. The private footage of a TV billionaire is going to belong to an actual billionaire. You see, for years, there have been allegations about outtakes from The Apprentice, where the slob father uses racist language, including by actor Tom Arnold, who says he saw it personally. 
I've seen a compilation tape that my buddy shared with. He says the N word. And he says he calls Eric. Uh, the uh, uh, the R word. It was him sitting in that chair saying the N word, saying the C word. He says every bad thing ever, every dirty, every offensive racist thing ever. So on brand. And if this is true, someday soon, Bezos may release the most racist thing in the MGM catalog other than Gone with the Wind. Because these tapes have never been made public, but now Mount Flushmore's arch nemesis owns it all, and I am here for it. Bezos could release it all on Amazon Prime as the follow-up to Fleabag, D-Bag. <laughs> D-Bag. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Colbert. Needed a laugh today, and that gave it to me. All right, that was good. And frankly, I don't know that it's going to get any better than that. So this might be a good time to just cut our losses and go home. And and it's the end of the hour anyway. Funny how it works out like that. So um, with that, I will say thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> I'm Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com. Feel free to come over there and look around. There's no paywall. Um, lots of stuff to check out, past shows and more. So do. And come back tomorrow. Brad and Desi are still being tormented by the jackhammers outside of their studio. So you got me for the for the next couple of days anyway. All right. So until next time, I will echo Brad Friedman when I say, good luck, world. We really need it. Yeah.